0: Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Why do we do Bible study? Romans chapter 15, verse 4 tells us, it says this, For whatever was written in Scripture in the past was written to teach us believers in Christ, giving us endurance and encouragement through the Scriptures, so that we might keep on having hope. Amen? Amen. God's good, isn't he? All the, time. <laughs> All the time. Spiritual wealth comes to believers in Christ who hear the word of God and regard it as a foundational part of their lives. And my question is, do you? Do you consider the word of God to be a foundational part of your life? Because this is the truth. And for us to be effective in this life, for us to have meaning in this life, it requires truth. Welcome to the lesson. What would you say if somebody asked you to tell them about Jesus? One of the things that is funny to me about people is that we don't like practicing articulating things. So if I asked you, tell me about Jesus, what would you say? And most of you would take a leak down your leg, quite frankly. I don't know what to say about Jesus. Uh, Here's what I would say. I would say at Barah Ministries, we know this truth. That Jesus Christ is God. That's the first thing you ought to tell people about Jesus Christ. He is God. He is not a guy. He's not a man. He's not a, a prophet. He's not like everybody else. He's completely unique. Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, we call him the Lord. He's 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He's also 100% human, just like you and me. So when I say he's not a man, I don't mean he's not a man. I'm saying he's not just a man. He certainly is 100% true humanity, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. So the Lord. God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. These are all things you can say about Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign God of the universe. Nothing happens in the universe without his permission. He is the Jewish Messiah. That's one that gets my Jewish friends crazy in their head because they don't believe he's the Jew. a lot of them don't believe he's the Jewish Messiah even though he is they'll catch him on the second coming and the the Lord God the Son was not sent by God the Father to judge the world he was sent so that the world would be saved through him so he is the savior of the world he died on a cross to make the only perfect payment for sin in the eyes of God the Father through the shedding of his blood. I have friends who believe that they can lose their fellowship. They are believers in Christ who believe that they can lose their fellowship with God. That is the most ridiculous idea that has ever been perpetrated on on mankind. And these are intelligent people who believe that a God who put them in fellowship with him at the moment of salvation through the baptism of the Holy Spirit a God who never changes, never changes his mind, and never changes anything he does, he put himself in union with us at the moment of salvation. They believe that they're powerful enough to wrest themselves out of the hands of the Savior of the world and lose their fellowship because of sin, sin that was paid for at the cross. That is ridiculous. And they think, I'm stupid because I no longer believe that. That is ridiculous, too, because I'm not stupid about anything, amen? (laughs) I thought I could sneak that one in on you. It didn't work, okay? I'm good with that. (laughs) All right, so when I say that this Jesus died on a cross to make the only perfectly satisfactory payment for sin in the eyes of God the Father by shedding his blood, you confessing your sins doesn't do jack. It doesn't do one thing. You can't get out of fellowship with God. And if you could, you confessing your sins to get back in fellowship could never happen. That's not how sin is forgiven. It's forgiven by blood. Whose blood? Christ's blood. Where? At the cross. That's it. Period. End of conversation. No debate. Check it out in this thing, this little thing called the Bible. Check it out. And all the stupid stuff that we believe about God, you need to be able to prove it in the Bible. And the people who believe that crap will bring out verses. Then when you go to the context of the verse, the the context of the verse is saying something completely different than they're trying to make it, make it say. Tired of that. Tired of it because... They're missing having a relationship with this God that they're going to meet one day, and they're going to be in shock for the first 5,000 years of eternity. Uh, I had no idea. Yeah, well, the stupid guy was trying to tell you. Why didn't you listen to the stupid guy? That's why I sent the stupid guy down there, Rory Clark. He was trying to tell you, but you couldn't believe it because you were deifying the pastors you studied with. See? See? Ain't nobody in here deifying me, amen? amen. I, tried to, I tried to sneak one in on you a few minutes ago. Yeah, no, no, we're not having that. We're not having that. Get on with it. So, as a result of the Lord's strategic victory at the cross, we are fully and forever forgiven of sins. For Christians who are thinking about sins, complete waste of time. Why? Because Jesus Christ did all the thinking about sin. He knew you'd do it. He paid for it. Now get on with your life. Those of us who make Baram Ministries our spiritual home are Christians. Being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that he is God. And we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. You heard it right. Christianity is a relationship. It is not a religion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing. He is not a higher power. He is not a concept that, you know, when I listen to Christians talk about God, it makes me sick at my stomach. It really does. The way they talk about him. And it's no wonder that unbelievers don't like it, because they don't talk about him like they would talk about a person. You know, I'm going to talk about June. June. I'm going to say, well, I have a friend, June Murphy. She's a really nice person. She sings. She makes up songs in her head and sings. And, you know, I know she needs medication, but that's a whole other thing. But she's just a really cool person. I don't say, oh, my friend June, she's, she's anointed. Uh, you know, my friend June is, is blessed. It's blessed. Why do we talk like that? Nobody wants to even know anybody who's anointed and blessed gets on my nerves, honestly. We don't talk like that. It's just when we start talking about God, it's like a fart in a spacesuit. You know, we start changing everything, talking in ways that nobody could ever relate to in a million years. So if somebody asks you about Jesus Christ, all this stuff that I'm telling you in the beginning, you ought to be mouthing the words with me. Every week I say the same thing. You well, Can you change it? No. He doesn't change. How am I going to change it? Is, if I change the words, does that make him not the sovereign God of the universe? If I change the words to entertain you, does that mean he's not the Jewish Messiah? If I change the words to, to entertain you, does that not mean that he's 100% God and 100% man and one person forever? You need to memorize that. And you need to be telling as many people as you can who this Jesus Christ is. Because he is special. He is different. Mohammed and Jesus are the same. Lucifer and, and that's not even Satan's name. Lucifer and Jesus are brothers. Get a grip. Get a grip. And then if I say that, oh, why are you bagging on religions? Because I don't like stupidity. And I don't like lies. That's why I'm bagging on religion. I'm sick of it. Are you? Because you need to be sick of it. And especially when they're talking about our best friend that way. Well, just as we do with anyone whom we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord. And since the Bible is his exact thinking, we come together to learn about him through the study of his word, the mind of Christ, the word of God, the Bible, which is more up to date today than it ever was in the past. God has an enemy, Satan the ruler of this world he is a liar who deceives the whole world including you and especially the elite of the world and he doesn't want you to get to know god and he interferes with your chance to know god but the word of god the bible is truth absolute truth and it keeps us aware of satan's insidious deceptions and as and and by the way an insidious de- deception is what the world calls a conspiracy theory. It's so funny, all my friends on Facebook, you know, that's a conspiracy theory. I said, yeah, you think that because you don't have a spiritual life. Why don't you check out a spiritual life and then you come back and tell me it's a conspiracy theory. And then what happens right after that? Crickets. As soon as you mention the spiritual life, crickets. No more talk. Because they know they don't have one. Oh, I can't see how all these religions can be proposing that they're the way. Yeah, I, I see how they all propose that they're a way, because they're imitating Christianity, which is the way. And they alienate you by doing that. When I tell people the only way to get to heaven is Jesus Christ, that alienates people. Who does it alienate? People who want don't want to know the truth. People who want there to be many roads to God. There aren't. There's one, God's focus, he's not like you, he's not confused, amen? So the word of God is truth, and it keeps us aware of these insidious deceptions, and as believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, adapting to others can win them to Christ. Adapting to others can win them to Christ. The wrath of God is real, and the wrath of God is coming soon. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Does it matter to you when you think of your loved ones who have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation yet? Does it matter to you that they will experience the wrath of God, which is the lake of fire? If we thought about that more, we would have more than a casual attitude toward our evangelism efforts. I have a cousin that I grew up with, and really he's one of the only family members I have that I really like, Harold. And he and I were playmates when I was a kid, and I see him once a year at least. And every single time I see him, I say the same thing to him. Harold, how do you get to heaven? And he rolls his eyes up in his head. He said, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Do you believe he's God? Yes. Okay. He, uh, Joey, he, my, my nickname in my family is Joey. Joey, why do you always say that to me? Because I don't want you to be confused. Because I want you in heaven, that's why. Do you mind? No? You know why? I don't want Harold to experience the wrath of God. Do you think I'm bothered? The Harold's bothered that I keep saying that to him over and over and over again? I don't care what he thinks about it. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it until the day when he comes up to me, Joey, how you doing? Hey, did you know that you can get to heaven by believing in Jesus Christ? <laughs> when, he's, when he initiates it, I'll stop doing it. Amen. So as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians midway through chapter 9, we're going to listen to Paul as he continues to build his argument about food, sacrifice to idols. But I want you to feel him as much as you hear him. I want you to know why it's so important to Paul to forsake his right to be paid as a pastor. It can be summed up with three words, save, win, and partake. And those are the words you'll hear in this passage today. Paul wants to save people from the coming wrath of God the Father. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says this: Much more than us believers in Christ having now been justified by the Lord Jesus Christ's blood. Believers in Christ are justified. What does that mean? They're declared legally righteous. The admission ticket to heaven. You believe in Christ, You are justified, which means you are declared legally righteous. It means that God the Father is walking through the halls of heaven every day mentioning your name as a believer in Christ. So, much more than having now been justified by the Lord Jesus Christ's blood, we believers in Christ shall be saved from the wrath of God the Father through our union with Christ. We have nothing to worry about as believers in Christ. We are saved, and we cannot experience the wrath of God the Father. Our unbelieving friends have not been saved from that wrath. And if you have a friend that you value, that you know as an unbeliever, that should bother you deeply. And you should have the same philosophy that I have about my cousin Harold. I don't care how many times I tell my Roman Catholic cousin... What it takes to be saved. I don't care how many times I tell him the Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism is not the Jesus Christ of biblical Christianity. I don't care how many times he rolls his eyes up in his head. I'm going to keep telling him until he throws up. Amen? And you need to feel the same exact way. Well, Paul wants to win people over to the resurrection life. John chapter 3 Verse 36 says this, he who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, the righteous life, right at that moment. So he wants to save. He wants to win. And as believers in Christ, we have a life with no beginning and no ending. Why? Because we share the eternal life of God. God's life is no beginning, no ending. Our unbelieving friends may not know it, but they have everlasting life. Everlasting life is a life with a beginning and no ending. Their souls, once born, never die, but they get to to decide where it spends eternity. And when they reject the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity in the lake of fire, experiencing the wrath of God for all time. Paul wants to partake with others in the benefits of the gospel. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says this, God the Father has not destined us believers in Christ for wrath. What are we destined for? Unconditional love. What are we destined for? Righteousness. What are we destined for? Heaven. What are we destined for? Justification. What are we destined for? Everything amazingly good. But he has destined us for obtaining salvation. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, not through yourself, through the Lord. And that's amazing. In today's lesson, Paul lets his feelings be known about his absolute love for those who are not saved, and he communicates his mission to save, to win, and to partake. Okay, <laughs> that was a good 20-minute start, amen? Amen. Amen. Amen? All right, so let's listen to some music. Are you afraid to meet your maker? I'm not. First John, cha- I'm not in a hurry. <laughs> I didn't know hurry. I'm not trying to skip out all my responsibilities down here. Amen? First, jo- <laughs> First John, chapter 4, verse 18 says this. There's no fear in unconditional love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves the inner torture of punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in unconditional love. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we fear nothing, and especially not the day when we go home to be with the Lord. Here's Josh Baldwin to sing about it in his song about God's love for us, Stand in Your Love.
1: Darkness tries to roll over my bones. When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own. When brokenness and pain is all I know. I won't be shaken. No, I won't be shaken. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I.
0: Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for placing us in your enemy's kingdom. It is a gift. In this kingdom of darkness, you are teaching us to love the light and to be the light for a lost and dying world. Thank you for giving us confidence in every circumstance because of the clarity offered by your word. Thank you for the secure future you have provided for your believers so that we can live forever in all eternity, glorying in the magic of you. Make your love burn inside of us, Father, so that we have an overwhelming desire to get your gospel message to those in our periphery who need it. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. I just decided... Uh, what the title of the um, homecoming lessons are going to be. And I'll tell you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that coming? All right, I'll tell you now. It is uh, the parables of Jesus Christ. So we're going to take a look into the Gospels at some of the parables. Parables. And the first one's going to be the prodigal son. And that's because it's really about the prodigal father. So, well, I don't, I don't know if he's a prodigal, but anyway. <laughs> Keep him away from the checkbook. <laughs> Today's Bible lesson, adapting to others can win them to Christ. Adapting to others can win their, them to Christ. Well, when there is calamity in your life, like there is right now, the calamity of COVID-19 and people losing their jobs and their areas being shut down and all the things that are happening in our lives, all of our freedoms being systematically taken away. And heaven forbid if the evil empire gets, in, uh, gets elected in November because you're going to see a country go south faster than it will shake, you can shake a stick at it. And we, as believers in Christ, are not going to be worried about that, because we don't belong to this kingdom. We know where this kingdom is going. We're in another kingdom, and we're just going to watch and see what our Lord, who allows all this stuff to happen, has planned. This is a calamity that you did not incite. It's a calamity the likes of which you have never known in your lifetime. And in the midst of that, do you trust the Lord? Job did. Let's listen to part of his story in Job chapter 1, verses 1 to 21. Here's what it says. There was a man in the land of Uz, which is located in southwestern Jordan near southern Israel. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, which means he was a believer in Christ, whom God made blameless and upright. It's not anything he did. Respecting God and turning away from evil. That's a perfect description of all believers in Christ. Once we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saying that we respect God and his plan, and we're turning away from evil. We don't want anything to do with Satan's plan. That does not mean we don't sin. It just means that we don't want anything to do with that kingdom. Job chapter 1, verse 2. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Poor guy. You probably had to have a scorecard. You know, hey, hey, hey uh, seven, come here. Yeah. <laughs> Job chapter one verse three. His possessions also were seven thousand sheep, which he used for clothing and food, three thousand camels, which are used for transportation and milk, five hundred yokes of oxen for food, milk, and work power, five hundred female donkeys, more transportation, plus the female donkeys could mate with other donkeys and have more babies, that's awesome. And very many servants, he had a workforce. And that man was the greatest of all the men in the East, which is in Northern Arabia. So the guy was loaded, right? He was blessed with a lot of kids. He was loaded. He had to be. If you had 10 kids, you got to have some money. Amen? (laughs) Job chapter 1, verse 4. His sons used to hold a feast in the house of each on his birthday, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Job chapter 1, verse 5. And when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would pray for his children. He was a spiritual man, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So Job prayed for them continually. Job 1.6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, in Hebrew the sons of God is the Biniha Elohim, a reference to the angelic creatures, Beniha Elohim is in, in the masculine, so all angelic creatures were male. Uh, by the way, Beniha, even if, if you don't know Hebrew, you know, this this guy, Osama bin Laden, you remember him. He was Osama bin, son of Laden. So this Beni Beniha is the sons of God. So the the sons of God, the many high Elohim, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Job one seven. and the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? This is an omniscient God who knows all the knowable, asking him, from where do you come? He just wanted to give him an opportunity to say what he would say. And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming around on the earth, my kingdom, and walking around on it. Yeah, I was down inspecting my property. That's where I was. (laughs) Job chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job while you're wandering around on your planet, a believer in Christ? For there's no one like him on the earth. He's a blameless and upright man, respecting God and turning away from evil. Job 1, 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job respect God without a reason? Does Job respect God for nothing? Now, Satan is going to project his internal motion, uh, motivation onto Job. And projection is, you have something re- uh, inside of you, and then you put it out like it's the other person that has it. That's what projection is in psychology. Job chapter 1, verse 10. Haven't you made a hedge of protection about him? and about his house, and about all he has on every side? In other words, I can't do anything to him without your permission. Aren't you protecting him? Because if you are not protecting him, I will wipe him out. And the same goes for you, believers in Christ. If God wasn't protecting you, Satan would just destroy you. He doesn't care about you at all. You've blessed Job's work, the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. That's why he worships you. You're giving him stuff. How hard is that? Satan is suggesting that Job and the Lord are in a this-for-that, quid pro quo in the Latin relationship. Job worships God, according to Satan, because God blesses him with possessions and a family. And then Satan suggests that adversity would turn Job against God. Reasonable claim, because I was just thinking about this in relation to marriage. How many marriages end because the people get married, and then one of them makes a mistake? The unforgivable mistake. He cheated on me. She cheated on me, and then they split. Why would you even bother to get married if you didn't realize you were getting married to a human being? Why would you even get married if the the minute that the person does something that you consider offensive that you're going to leave? Why would you even bother? And that's what most people do. And that's what Satan is suggesting because that's what he inculcates into human beings. Put up with another human being until they make a mistake and then split. That's his philosophy. And that's what he did with God. Only God didn't make a mistake. Satan just split. He abdicated his bodyguard status in eternity past. Job one eleven. But put forth your hand on Job right now. Touch all that he has. Take his stuff away from him, and he will curse you to your face. That's what Satan contends. All right, so that's what Satan contends. Let's see if that's what Job does. Because Satan is attacking the integrity of God. He's saying that people worship God only because God blesses them. The Lord made an offer to shut Satan up. Job 1:12. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all he has is in your power. Only don't put forth your hand on him. You can't take his life. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord, rubbing his hands together. Awesome. This is exciting. Satan then started and instigated a series of attacks on Job from all sides. Job 1.13. Now on the day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, Job 1.14, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them, Job 1.15, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. And they also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Joel 1 and while this servant was still speaking another servant also came and said the fire of God which is lightning fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and I alone have escaped to tell you see the uh, uh, Satan's always doing things that, that get God blamed Job 1.17, and while this servant was still speaking, another servant came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of a sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Job 1.18, and while this servant was still speaking, another servant came also and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Job 1.19, And behold, a great wind, a tornado, came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Job went from having everything to having nothing. Imagine the grief that he had, losing all ten of his kids and all of his possessions. What was Job's response to the grief? Satan had said that Job would turn on God. He said the only reason he worships you is because you bless him, but you take all his stuff, and it's going to be different. So is it? Job chapter 1, verse 20. Job arose and tore his robe, which was an indication of shock, and he shaved his head, which represented the loss of personal glory, and he fell to the ground, and he worshiped. Job 121. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall be when I die. In other words, man, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job one twenty two, and through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. All right, so Satan was wrong. Satan said, "If you take all his stuff, he's not going to worship you." He was wrong, and. In your spare time today, maybe you could turn and look at chapter 2, because Satan, who can't be convinced by evidence, you have any friends like that? No matter how nice you are to them, the evidence never convinces them. You got anybody in your life like that? I do. All my family. Most of them, anyway. So in the next chapter, you know, when God says, Dog, you were wrong. Yeah, okay, so his vulnerability isn't his family and his stuff. But what about his health? So check out Job chapter 2, because the Lord allows Satan to attack Job's health. Give him skin cancer. And he says, you take away his health, he'll turn on you. And you can tell me next week what happened. Job followed adversity with adoration. He followed woe with worship. Job thanked God for the calamity. Are you thanking God for COVID-19? Are you thanking God for all the things that you've lost? It's already starting. You know, I'm into football. It's already starting. Oh, there's a lot of cases of COVID in the football teams. They're going to try to take it away. Are you thanking God for that? We thank God for the spiritual gymnasium. Spiritual workouts are the best. We worship through our grief concerning the freedoms that have been taken away. Like Job, we endure the pain no matter how deep. Now, you know that people have lost children, and I don't think there could be anything more traumatic than being a parent and having one of your kids die. Not in all cases, but in most. But I had a friend call and say, hey, I've got, a, I've got a friend and this person lost a kid and he's mad at God. What are you mad at God for? God gave you a gift of this kid for a certain number of years. Why are you mad? Take a look at Job. Have you considered my servant Job? He lost all ten of his kids. He didn't curse God. He didn't get mad at God. He didn't sin even though his friends thought he was stupid for doing it. They thought he was weak. They thought he was gullible. But he didn't curse God. The Bible has an answer for every situation. What are you like amidst undeserved suffering? The stuff that we're going through right now, we didn't deserve this. We didn't earn it. We didn't count on it. I didn't count I thought, oh man, yeah, and this is the, the whole retirement farce, right? And oh when I when I retire, I'ma travel. Oh, except if you can't because of a virus. <laughs> 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 you didn't count on that, did you? Didn't you see that coming. Oh, if you don't get a vaccination, you can't travel. Didn't see that coming, did you? I did not plan for the final 38 years of my life to be 38 years where my freedoms were stolen. Did not plan on that. I planned on that being the best time of my life. And what is it? It's just a challenge, another challenge. I didn't count on it. Medicare, I thought I was going to be paying $300 a month for health insurance, right? No, I make too much money. i pay a $1,000 a month. Didn't count on that. Didn't see that coming. Nobody warned me. Didn't count on it that when I got an IRA, that they're giving me this tax break when I'm young, and it didn't count on it that they wanted me to put this money in an IRA, use my considerable investment skill to grow it real big so that when I had to mandatorily take it out, they were going to get a way bigger share than they would have if I had just paid the taxes early. Didn't count on that. So everything that's in my investment account, I only own half of it because I'm going to have to give it away. Oh, no. Oh, no, I got a plan for them. Amen. <laughs> hey, and I want it to be on video. I want it to be evidence. I got a plan for them. But we don't count on that. We don't count on what always happens in Satan's kingdom. It always happens. You think it's going to be one way and then, bam, just. You're walking down the alley and somebody comes out and busts your head down to the white meat with a baseball bat. Amen? So we just got to stop the the delusion. We got to stop pretending like we don't know the character of the person who runs this kingdom. We know him. He is a tyrant. He is a liar. He is a disgustingly dishonorable, disrespectful maggot. Yeah, but we've got a more powerful God than him. We've got a God who overcame the world. So what are you like in the midst of undeserved suffering? Do you worship the Lord? Because our underlying feeling is always when we get duped by Satan once again, this isn't fair. You're right. It isn't fair. But the Lord Jesus Christ controls history, and nothing happens without his permission. And if he allows unfairness to be inflicted on you, then he is doing it for a purpose, the spiritual gymnasium. So in prayer, we ask God for what we want, and then we watch him work. When we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll continue our study of First Corinthians chapter 9. Save, win, partake. Take a five-minute break.
1: Why you ever chose me? asking me, you gave my heart a song to sing, I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus, I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus, when Moses had stage fright, when David brought a rock to a sword fight pick 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen and you the world well the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose so when I hear that devil start talking to me saying who do you think you are I say I'm, I'm just, just a nobody trying to tell Even for the world to see, nobody but you.
0: Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Adapting to Others Can Win Them to Christ. Adapting to others can win them to Christ. We are to follow the Lord's example in everything, and especially in giving. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son. What an amazing example. How do Christians give? There must never be a time when we don't give. When we give, we are simply redirecting to God what he has given to us because everything we have comes from God. So giving is an expression of your faith in God. Let your giving rival God's giving and watch the things that flow into your life as a result. Give something, give anything, give now. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with today's offering message.
2: Good morning. 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 My name is Denny Goodall, and I've been anointed a deacon for Bra Ministries. (laughs) (laughs) I feel very blessed. (laughs) (laughs) Bra Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and it's a place where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And that's something I say every week truth. But it really is important because we found our source of truth here at Bra Ministries. And we don't have to be like 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out <clears throat> into the world. So, so we, we know we've got truth here. But what do we know about everybody else out there, our friends and our family and others? They don't. They don't have an advocate that can test the spirits for them. So that's where we come in. I think that's where, like Pastor's saying today, you know, what do, what do you know about Christ? What 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 can you say about Christ? What can you say about your spiritual life? If we can't articulate those things, then how are people around us going to articulate those things? And it really is it really is appropriate. I mean, that's what the Christian way of life is is it's what we're here for. Our spiritual life is for others. It's not for ourselves. And I think a lot of a lot of Christianity and Christians we end up going introspective and learning the lessons, and we do so good, but we never apply them. We never use them with our friends and our family. And I was thinking this week, what I plan to do now is I'm going to just kind of test out my stuff on my friends because I don't care if I hurt their feelings. And then my family, I'll kind of fine-tune it. I'll do it a little bit better with them because you're practicing. You're articulating your points about God and about the, the spiritual life and about the, the gospel. And that way, when you encounter others in the real world, you've got some, a, little, a little bit of stuff under your belt, some tricks under your, your belt. You've dealt with your friends. You know how they're going to react. You've dealt with your family. You've seen how they're going to react. And that way, when you talk to others, you can give them the gospel with some confidence and a little flair and something funny and be ready for some off-the-cuff remarks rather than just going at it and saying a verse and running away. Because what are people going to say? Oh, that guy's scared. A Christian's scared. It doesn't make sense. So we don't have anything to be scared of. We have a victory, and we have the truth. So let's help everybody else know the truth. And that's why we do the offering each week is to expand our our footprint around the world and to have more ministries and to be able to take care of the addicts in this town and take care of the, the kids that don't have parents and take care of the vets who we really are missing right now and that's just the stuff that we do because we're here for others we're not here for ourselves so remember that when you're giving the offering it's not just giving for yourself to to get rewards but it's also to help others and it's also to give pastor a pat on the back so that he remembers that we're all out there for him and that We're not just names on names and faceless pages somewhere. So um, thank you for always giving it the offering and just help others to test their spirits because we know the truth and not everybody does. So thank you very much.
0: Today's Bible lesson, Adapting to Others Can Win Them to Christ. Adapting to Others Can Win Them to Christ. Welcome back. The passage under study extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And remember why we're studying this passage. Chloe's people have asked the Apostle Paul a question that he is answering. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. Now concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, like food, we know that idols don't exist in the world, and that there is no God that exists but the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul introduces the idea that the spiritually mature must forego certain freedoms for the benefit of the immature. Freedoms, like eating idol meat. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he builds on the argument by using himself as an example. Paul foregoes being paid for spreading the gospel message, even though the Lord allows for pastors to be paid for their work. All right, so now we study verse by verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 to 27, which is the next part of his argument. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Do you not know? And whenever Paul says that, he's kind of being accusatory. Are you ignorant? Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar. Paul says that even pagans know about being compensated for their work by eating of the food sacrificed to idols. 1 Corinthians nine fourteen. So also... The Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. God sanctions that pastors be paid. 1 Corinthians 9.15 But I, Paul, have not taken advantage of any of my rights to receive financial support, nor do I write to receive financial support now, for it would be better for me to die than to take anything from you. Ooh, that's strong. No man will make my boast... Of doing this gospel spreading ministry willingly, an empty one. To Paul, preaching the gospel is a calling, not a job. He is not at all doing the job for compensation. The work itself is rewarding enough. I've joked with you guys a lot of times that I'm looking for the error in Scripture so that when I find out that Christianity is a lie, I can stay home on Sundays and read the Arizona Republic and eat Cinnabons and listen to Kenny Rankin music. And you guys have heard me say that a lot of times in jest. The truth of the matter is when I was living that lifestyle early on and in my 30s, it was boring. It was a pain in the butt getting up and going and getting the paper. It was the Chicago Sun-Times, by the way. And it was a pain in the butt sitting around all Sunday morning stuffing yourself with carbs, and getting sleepy and falling asleep on the couch, and listening to depressing self-pity music. It's not something I want to do. I had a calling on my life, and that calling is a burning inside. And so being a pastor to me is not a job. This is fun. It's something that I wouldn't consider not doing. That's what Paul is saying here, 1 Corinthians nine sixteen. If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about. Why? Because I didn't create the gospel. I'm under compulsion by God to preach. Why? Because I was a zealot, and I was trying to wipe out the Christian church single-handedly by killing men, women, and children who were Christian, and then I was knocked off my high horse on the road to Damascus. That's what Paul is saying here. And so now my conclusion is woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe is a type of grief that's that's ten times what Job was experiencing. It's almost unimaginable. That's what Paul is saying. When God places a calling inside of you, it burns inside of you. You have to do it. But you have to do it because you want to do it, not because you're being coerced. We don't have a coercive God. We have a gracious God. But I have to do this. I have to get up every week week and teach you. And if I wasn't doing this, I would have to sit down and write. I have to be that deep because it was built in. We have a God who calls us to be all we were created to be. And that's something that you need to realize that you were beautifully and fearfully made God made you for a purpose. If you're a believer in Christ, God knew a billion years ago that you would be a believer in Christ. He built into you a spiritual gift and you manifest this this gift in some way now that you don't even understand. There's certain things that you do that you can't even explain why you keep doing them when every time you do them, you look like a fool. What kind of fool is it that spends all Saturday sitting on a chair for 13 hours until the butt is pressed into the chair so long that the toes are tingling. What kind of fool is that? I'd rather be out playing golf. But I can't. Why? Because it's burning in me. And i got to get that burning in me. It's like an itch, and you have to get it scratched. And the only way to get it scratched is to come and to preach the gospel. Do you think I care how many people are here? I would like more people to be here. I would like to be a megachurch. Only for for the purpose of having a lot of people hearing about Christ continually. That's not really, my experience is, that's not really what Christians want from God. They don't want to get to know him. They don't want to know his word. They want to pretend like they're spiritual. They want it to be inside of them that they're doing something for God by showing up to church. When you're doing something for God, you're making a difference every moment in every conversation that you have. I'm not hokey. I'm not anointed. I'm not blessed. I'm not one of those people who are going around calling everybody brother. Oh, yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. Yeah, brother. (laughs) I'm not into the phony crap. I'm not. But when somebody's talking to me about their business and they're having a difficulty in their business and I have business expertise, you can bet that I'm going to be talking to them. And I'm going to be pouring out my expertise to them for free just like somebody else did for me one time. And I know that when my God sees that, He gets a smile on his face. Of course, he always has a smile on his face when he's looking at me. Amen? I mean, what's the frown about? (laughs) Amen? See, you didn't hear June over here. You know, everybody's always bagging on me for teasing June. June says, oh, God. (laughs) You didn't hear that. I heard it. So if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast boast about. I'm under compulsion to preach. And woe to me if I don't preach. And God has put that calling inside of us. It is who we are. A teacher is who I am. It's not just something I'm doing. And the desire to, to live is inside of me. It burns inside. And you have it too. And you may suppress it you may push it down you may not look june june is walking around making songs up in her head all the time why she has a calling in that area i mean and and how good is god because i was a soloist in glee club in high school brother can sing and now i can't sing at all god just suppressed my ability to sing so i wouldn't be showing june up amen (laughs) I like that. So look, here's what happens when we aren't being who we are. We're miserable. Even though living your calling is painful, not living your calling is worse. I know people who, who are what I call paycheck players. You know, they go to work, and the work's not a calling for them. It's just a paycheck. They hate their jobs. And that's probably 80% of the people in the world. They're just paycheck players. They don't have a calling in their career. I have to teach. I love teaching. I'm mad when I'm not teaching. Who I am as a teacher shows up everywhere I am. Because it's burning inside. That's what God does for us. And if you're a paycheck player, change it. God's not interested in you being a paycheck player because people always say, I'm motivated by money. You are full of it. We are not motivated by money. We are not motivated by money. We're motivated by the work. And the money is the scoreboard. And there's a passion with which we do our job. You know, you, you, you work with FedEx, right? Huh? <laughs> you did? Yeah, I don't really who, who do you work with now? Company of, uh, Auburn, Washington. Gotcha. So you're doing delivery stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a passion. Here, here's somebody orders. <laughs> he said, "No, nah, it ain't. No, nah, it is a paycheck. All right. Stop being a paycheck player." But, but you know, in that in that job, you walk up to somebody who is is laying bricks, and you go to one of them, and you say, what are you doing? I'm, 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 I'm getting a check. This is a check. Another one says, I'm laying bricks. Another one says, I'm building a cathedral. You know, the people who ordered stuff that you deliver, they're passionate about getting that, and you get it to them safely. That's a beautiful thing, and we forget that there's a calling built into our work. We're not just doing that. God has put us in a place. And part of part of having, I, I have been a paycheck player. I have been in jobs that I absolutely hated. And the reason I was doing them is because I knew God was teaching me to, to stay loyal and faithful in a situation that I absolutely hated. There was one company that I worked for, and I hated being there from the day it started till the day it ended. Hated it. And I knew that the CEO was using me, and he was going to fire me. And I told him, you're going to fire me. I ain't going to quit. He kept putting pressure on me to make me quit. I ain't going to quit. And it was the year that my mom had a stroke, that Zachary was born, and I bought my first house, and he fired me. And he didn't even have the courage to fire me. He delegated it to somebody, and they fired me. And after they fired, he, they, that person fired me, I got up and went in his office and said, I knew you were going to do that, you coward. I aspired twice in my career, both times for insubordination. Can you even imagine that, that I would be insubordinate? And it's actually funny because I'm not, I'm a very authority-oriented person. So it is not my goal to be insubordinate. But when you are a leader and you need to be led, and you're being led by a coward, it bothers you. But it was a learning experience. And a paycheck, because I needed to pay for the greedy little guy who was born, and I needed to pay for that house, amen? So, 1 Corinthians 9, 17. If I preach voluntarily, Paul says, and of course I do, I have a reward. But if I do this ministry against my will reluctantly, I still have a stewardship, I still have a duty entrusted to me by God. As pastors, we do the work for the Lord. And you benefit. And by doing the work for the Lord, there is never a time when we can grow weary from the beatings of the doulos slavery. And doulos is a Greek term means 24 hour a day, seven day a week service to the Lord. By doing the work for the Lord, there's never a time when we can grow weary from the beatings and the doulos slavery inherent in the calling. Because we know the one for whom we work is faithful. I know that God builds in tribulation into my life. I know he, you know, I'm talking about, I always include some conversation in a lesson about Satan. I know Satan doesn't like that. And I'm not under the delusion that Satan thinks I'm so special that he has to do something to get to me. But the truth is that Satan always has a program to get to pastors. He wants to expose us as frauds. He wants to publicly humiliate and embarrass us. That day will be coming for me. I'm good with it. And if you don't like it, I'm good with that too. But it'll it'll come. It'll come. There'll be that day where you, oh, I can't believe Pastor Rory would do that. You've had a lot of those days along my ministry. The day will come. We'll be humiliated. I'm not worried about it. Because this momentary light affliction doesn't at all compare to the eternal weight of glory that's waiting for me in heaven. I'm not worried about this world. I'm not worried about this hundred and three years that I have been granted here on earth. Amen? 38 to go. <laughs> God has built Integrity into the fabric of pastors, and we're obligated by choice to do the work for him. But by no means are we strong, by no means or do we have all this character. We have what God built into us. First Corinthians 9:18. What then is my reward when I preach voluntarily? The reward is that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right to be compensated in preaching the gospel. Satan always distorts this kind of unselfishness. He makes it dirty. Paul is free to do as he chooses. He chooses to, live the, to give the gospel free of charge, and Satan spends a story that all of us always have an ulterior motive simply because he does. When there is a calling on your life, there is no ulterior motive other than to serve. Paul's focus is the Lord and the gospel. All else is secondary to him. My focus is the Lord and the gospel. All else is secondary, secondary to me. Even in my consulting practice, the Lord and his word are built into the consulting practice. I am always talking to people on a spiritual level, not just on a word worldly level. Selfish people, like the Corinthian believers, have a tough time connecting with what is going on in Paul's unselfish mind. 1 Corinthians 9.19 For although I I, Paul, am a free man, free from bondage to all men, I have made myself a slave to all men, so that I may win more men for Christ. That's what Paul wants to do. Win, save, win, and partake. Paul, the free man, has voluntarily become a slave of Christ. By extension, he is a slave to all the people he serves. The last will become first. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, the Lord said this, The greatest among you shall be your servant. A person who makes himself a slave to others demonstrates unconditional love. He gives, but does not require. He gives, but does not count the cost. He gives in a one-way love. That's what unconditional love is, one-way love. Only God can make us this way. And Satan, the enemy of God, can't understand this approach to life. Paul becomes weak, and God makes him strong. And Paul illustrates the point in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews for Christ to those who are under the Mosaic Law. I acted as if I am under the Mosaic Law, though I am not under the Mosaic Law, so that I might win those who are under the Mosaic Law. The first part of this verse is a funny statement for Paul to make because he was Jewish. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win the Jews. You are a Jewish, dog. What are you talking about? Well, you can be Jewish and a Christian, and he was talking about his Christianity. He was saying... I'm a Christian, and I happen to be Jewish, and what I need to do if I'm talking to the Jews is be Jewish. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, he confirms that he was Jewish. He said, If anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, that is, in their humanity, put that verse up, man, in their humanity and in their human credentials, I should far more than they. Why? I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like all good Jewish boys. I am of the nation of Israel, just like all good Jewish boys. I am of the tribe of Benjamin, which of the 12 tribes is the toughest group. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Jew of Jews. The Jews think I'm, I'm the best Jew. As to the Mosaic law, I am a Pharisee. 20 years of scripture study. Old Testament scriptures study. Paul knew it inside and out. Was he a Jew? He was every bit a Jew. Boom! He is a Jew of Jews. Who can forget Paul's offer in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, where he offered to go to hell himself, if he could, to save his Jewish brethren who had rejected Christ. Who can forget the power of that? Because that's sacrifice. That's a calling on your life. And what Paul is saying in the Corinthians passage is that he is versatile enough to modify his approach based on the people to whom he is evangelizing, all for the purpose of winning people to Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. To the Jews I became as, as a Jew, so that I might win Jews for Christ. To those who are under the Mosaic law, I acted as if I'm under the Mosaic law, though I'm not under the Mosaic law, so that I might win those who are under the Mosaic law. 1 Corinthians 9.21, to those who are outside the law, and that's us, Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, even though I am not without the law of God. I am under the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Unconditional love. So that I might win those who are outside the law. So the outside the Mosaic law people are the Gentiles, and this is the group to whom Paul was sent by God. He is the, the pastor to the Gentiles. And what an insult for him to be as Jewish as he was and be sent to the Gentiles who the Jews think are vermin. Despite being assigned to the Gentiles, the Jews have a, a, a name for us, goys. We're goys. You know, that's, that's kind of like the N-word almost. <laughs> all of my Jewish friends would protesteth about that. Despite being assigned to the Gentiles, though, Paul always seemed to start his evangelism efforts with the Jews in the area he went to. He never forgot his roots. One important thing to realize is that you can be Jewish and be Christian if you so choose. And so when Paul became a Christian, his life became uncomplicated now he always went to the Jews but by the way he would go to the Jews and especially in Jerusalem and he would get his butt kicked and it was uh, and, and God said I told you just go to the Gentiles you yeah, he go to the Jews and you just get his butt kicked he he suffered 39 lashes three times they beat him just like they beat Christ with these whips with nails at the end of it three times that's that's how I, because the the Jews felt he had turned on them by preaching Christ so Paul became a Christian his life became uncomplicated he no longer had to worry about being a Roman citizen no longer had to worry about being a Jew no longer had to be worry about being a Pharisee he could now focus on the simplicity and purity of single-minded devotion to Christ the modern day equivalent is when i laid aside the titles that the world has assigned to me, colored, negro, nigger, black, minority, person of color, at-risk youth, spook, jigaboo, and African American. Those terms don't mean anything to me. I, I think I am now at the point where I think referring to somebody by skin color is the stupidest thing that could ever come out of your mouth. I don't ever say, "Hey, my white my white friend Mike and I are going to get together today." Now, when I'm talking about Denny, it's a little different. I, I I will say that. Yeah, my white friend, my white deacon Denny. Actually, I got two white deacons, <laughs> and one of them is anointed. Eh, Amen. <laughs> yeah, I got some game too, Denny. <laughs> so. I'm simply a Christian. That's what I learned from Christ. I am a human being who is a Christian. And you can call me anything else you want, but I'm Teflon. It just falls off me. I don't care what term you want to use to denigrate me and to create the situation where you think I'm going to feel inferior. It isn't going to happen. I'm a Christian, and that is the highest calling. And not only that, I have the highest spiritual gift in the Christian way of life, the gift of pastor-teacher. I feel good about myself. Amen? Amen. Now, (laughs) when Paul became a Christian, he no longer took his instruction from the world and its systems. He took his instruction from Christ. And it is the modern-day equivalent of my abandonment of Roman Catholicism and systematic theology with all of their complications and convolutions and crap, studying and creating and preaching doctrines that were the precepts of men instead of simply focusing on what, Bi- what the Bible has to say. Show me in the Bible where it says that you can lose your fellowship with God. Show me in context a single passage that says once you're in fellowship with God, you can lose it. You can't. And yet intelligent people, people who claim to be intelligent, believe that crap. You show me in the Bible where it says you can backslide. If a Christian backslided, what would that even mean? You're in union with Christ and you backslide? Who backslides with you? Say it. Yeah. You can't backslide backsliding's all about you. how do you backslide from sin? you mean sins that were already paid for at the cross? Reversionism uh, the ten problem solving devices I learned that ten problem solving devices were a bunch of crap when I had a bile stone going through my a bile duct when my my gallbladder was acting an idiot, and I'm trying to use the faith rest drill. You know what? It didn't work. Call to mind Bible verses. I couldn't call to mind anything but Christ. I kept saying, Christ, please. Please. And I still got my two hours of pain. Women think pregnancy is hard, (laughs) and it is. (laughs) But... But I cannot imagine if, it, if, if a stone passing through a Bible duck is anything like pregnancy. Thank God women got the job. Amen? Because a brother does not want that job. I did not want that job. So all this stuff, you know, preaching what men say is a bunch of crap. Because these men didn't create Christianity. It's not themianity. It's not mclaughlin it's not popeianity it's christianity christ what does the bible have to say after all the bible is the mind of christ and the one who created christ is the one who created christianity as christians we simply live to reflect christ first corinthians chapter 9 verse 22 to the weak i became weak that i might win the weak I have become all things to all men so that I in all circumstances may by all means save some of them. Paul makes it clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that when we are weak, that's when we're strongest because divine power is at work within us. He became weak with those who were weak so that they could understand and identify with becoming a Christian. None of the adjustments Paul makes when he is dealing with different groups of people, involves a modification of the truth. He's not telling people what he wants to hear. The truth is what they want to hear. The truth is the truth. You don't tell people what they want to hear and water down the truth for them. And that's what most people want. Most people want a watered down, non-offensive, no pressure, no indictment version of the truth. What do my friends want? Stop bagging on the Roman Catholics. I'm not bagging on the Roman Catholics. I'm begging on the Roman Catholics. I'm begging them to leave that lie, leave that distortion, and find the real Christ. Why? Because I don't want anybody, friend or foe, to be at the wrong end of the wrath of God. It's simple. It is as simple as that. Quit bagging on the Mormons, okay? So what I should do then is, for all my Mormon friends, I should just stay silent knowing that they believe that Jesus Christ is not God. I shouldn't tell them, and I should be happy when they're in the lake of fire, and the the fact that they had a relationship with me is playing over and over in their head. And what's playing over and over in their head is, why didn't Rory ever tell me? Or what's playing in their head is, Rory told me and I didn't listen, and then I should feel good about those two things. I don't. I'm going to tell them. If they don't like it, that's their choice. If they don't like me, that's their choice. But I'm not going to be one of those phony people who doesn't tell the people in my periphery that I care about over and over and over about the Christ. Not going to do it. How about you? You scared to tell your family the truth? They don't like you anyway. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. A prophet has honor, just not in his own hometown, and not with his own family members. They don't like you anyway. Tell them. They didn't like you before you told them. They're not going to like you after you tell them. Tell them. Amen? Amen? I want my Bible lessons to be as offensive as possible. Because what I find is that when you tell people the truth and they're offended, it it gnaws at them. It eats at them. And God the Holy Spirit does stuff with that. When they start getting gnawed at, God the Holy Spirit invites them, convicts them concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He says, "Come, come and check some stuff out. That guy that irritated you just now, he might be on to something. Come check it out. But being vanilla with the people we love, I don't want to offend you. What kind of Christian are you? The truth always offends those who don't want to hear the truth. To those who don't want to hear the truth, it's blunt, it's brutal, it's too direct. That's the way I'm described all the time. You're so blunt. You're so brutal. You tear people apart. You're too direct. That's people who don't want to hear the truth. I had one of my clients tell me that today. I, the the other day, uh, I I was you know I worked really hard on this presentation and I was just waiting for you to tear me apart. Okay, let's tell the truth. You didn't work hard on this presentation at all. I gave you four months to read two books, and now one single thing in your presentation is reflected in, uh, that, that the book might have told you to do. You didn't do any work. You threw this together at the last minute. You didn't think I was going to call on you. I called on you, and now you're embarrassed in front of your entire group of performers. And that tears you apart. It's your fault. You're scared to speak in public, and you didn't prepare. And now you look like a goof. I didn't do that to you. I invited you to be excellent. You don't like it? Get a new teacher. I don't need the money. That's blunt. That's brutal. That's too direct. That's honest. That's how I got good. My teachers told me I stunk at stuff. I had a choice. Step up or step out. Paul's approach to preaching the gospel is to demonstrate empathy by meeting people where they are and seeing things from their perspective. 1 Corinthians 9.23, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I might have the benefit of the gospel for myself as well. And that's one of the funniest things that people don't know about teachers. We do this for ourselves, and then we come and tell you about it just to give you some benefit. I'm learning about God for me. I want to know Christ when I meet Christ. And I'm happy to share what I'm learning with you. The easiest way to understand what Paul did is to understand what the Lord did as well. The sovereign God of the universe took on the form of man to demonstrate that he understood what it's like To be human, he was spiritually mature and he did something mature for the immature. He humiliated himself by taking on the form of man. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We believers in Christ do not have a high priest in in the Lord Jesus Christ who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have a high priest who's been tempted in all things just as we are, yet he is without sin. Whatever pressure you thought was too much for you to bear, The Lord bore a pressure that was a thousand times worse than he didn't sin in the process. The Lord put himself under the Mosaic law, a law he wrote (laughs) so that he could fulfill it. The Lord used self-restraint to elevate us to his status. And Paul used self-restraint to elevate unbelievers to believer status and to help immature Christians see the path God is taking them on to maturity. Your pastor has demonstrated self-restraint in nothing. Amen? <laughs> not exactly true. I at least come here every week, right? Paul closes this chapter with another example of self-restraint. The athlete in an athletic contest. And we'll go into this in more depth next week. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Do you not know, are you ignorant, that those who run in a race all run, But only one receives the prize, run in such a way that you might win. God is a winner, and he wants you to win. First Corinthians 9.25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a reward of the games, which is a bunch of pine cones, (laughs) but we do it to receive an imperishable eternal wreath which is a reward from God. 1 Corinthians 9.26, Therefore I, Paul, run in such a way as not without aim, I run with a purpose. I box in such a way as not beating the air. For I, the, I, the MMA guys came to mind in that. There are a lot of times when they're swinging at each other and they're not hitting, and it just cracks me up. I always think of this verse. 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I discipline my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified. You go, Paul. Paul's rewards will come at the end of the race. The re- rewards always come at the end of the race. The point of Paul's argument is simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, it says this, Therefore, if food causes my brother, a fellow believer in Christ, to stumble, I, Paul, will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. If Paul's approach to the gospel causes anyone to stumble, Paul would rather die. Would you? Is your approach to the gospel satisfactory to you? Are you okay with how you're knowing the gospel and then sharing it with the people that you love who may not want to hear it? You good with that? I bet you ain't. And if you ain't, change it. Give them the back part of our lesson every week. Put them on a list so they can get that lesson every week so that they're without excuse. And you are without excuse. All right, let's close this way. The closing message of this study is the most important lesson of this study. We want you to know that God wants you. First and foremost, this message is for the benefit of believers in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, believers, sanctify Christ as the Lord in your heart. Set aside Jesus as God in your heart. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you, the absolute confidence provided by your faith in Christ, and give the defense with gentleness and respect. Second, this message is for unbelievers so you can be saved. Whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner, and that's bad news for you because sinners need a Savior. The good news is that this gospel message offers you a chance to make the most important decision of your life, as outlined in Acts 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. What do you believe about God? Many people have beliefs about God. A belief is an opinion or a conviction or a confidence in the existence of something that doesn't seem provable. Everything with God is provable, though. There's no need for blind faith with God. He reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. And if he didn't, what kind of God would he be? What would make him worthy of our worship? Satan The enemy of God prefers we have beliefs because he knows there's a big difference between beliefs and the truth. Only when your beliefs and the truth are the same are your beliefs significant. Satan hates the truth. Why? Because he can't handle the truth. What many people believe is that they can impress God so much that he will let them into heaven because of their good deeds and their religious practices. So they give money to beggars, They give food to the homeless. They are actively involved in community projects. They generously donate their time, talent, and treasure to charitable organizations. They give back. You've heard that term, give back, used countless times. And people who give back usually are convinced that they are good people, impressive to God because they give back. Many think they are so good that after they die, God will reward them by letting them into heaven for their good deeds. The Bible tells a completely different story. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, not based on deeds we have done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and through the renewing of God the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 say this, By God's grace you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation. And that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So being saved is not a result of your works, deeds you've done in self-righteousness, so that no one may boast about saving himself. One thing you would never want is to put the burden of your salvation on your own back. So if you can't get into heaven for, from doing good deeds, what is the truth about how to get God to let you into heaven? Well, the one way to get to heaven, the only way to get to heaven, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to the doubting Apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation, I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. The Apostle Paul describes this amazing Messiah, the Christ, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 15. Verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. It is wise to let God save you because once God does something, it can't be undone. And God never changes his mind. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36, he who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment, but he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. When you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is God, it is much more than a belief. It is the absolute truth. And when we choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, it's more than a belief. It's the absolute truth. So how do you get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that he is God. And if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead in resurrection, you will be saved. Romans 10, 10. For with the heart a person believes resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, which is your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, verse 17. God the Father did not send God the Son, the Lord, who took on human form as Jesus Christ, into the world to judge the world. But God the Father sent God the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. So take the gift of salvation right now. There's no time to waste. God wants you. Why bother working for your salvation with good deeds when it's a free gift? Let the Lord Jesus Christ work on the cross. Give back to you. Well, we close with music. Once God gets a hold on you, he will never let you go. According to Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, I, Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life, nor elect angels who wouldn't, nor principalities, demons, fallen angels who couldn't, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to sever us from the unconditional love of God the Father, who is for us, through our union with Christ Jesus. Here's June Murphy to sing a song made popular by Babbie Mason, and it asks a great question. What can separate you?
3: of the earth, to give you life forever, he left no stone unturned, and before the birth of time, Jesus had you on his mind, so you never need to question his concern. So what can separate you from the precious love of God? And who could ever come against His strong and perfect love? So when you're in the valley and your nights cold and road, the darkest hour is just before. Remember, nothing can separate you from
1: God's love. He numbered
3: each and every star. He counts them one by one and sees that they are still in place. And if he cares for every store, then he stays right where you are. You can trust you'll never fall. love of God, and who could ever come against His strong and perfect love? Pain, no sorrow, not today and not tomorrow, nothing past or nothing present, nothing future, nothing
0: You've been on a long search for that diaphragm, and you finally found it. (laughs) Amen, sister. Amen. (laughs) That was awesome. Beautifully done. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Stop worrying about anything. Instead, in everything, by prayer and petition with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God the Father. And the peace of God the Father, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds, flooding your souls with peace, you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Now to Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and the one who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through our union with Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now, and forever let us pray almighty god and father we just thank you for filling us to all the fullness of christ we thank you for sustaining us in satan's kingdom we thank you for allowing us to make a difference here we thank you for allowing us to thrive in the midst of a bunch of people who are simply happy to survive we pray that you keep our spiritual eyes wide open We pray that you give us the discernment that's necessary to recognize friend versus foe. We pray that you help us to have the courage to spread the gospel message in every single instance where there's an opportunity. We pray that you incite our creative abilities to help us get that message to this lost and dying world. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.